Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Ko Kagaru. You probably know Ko from Twitter. Uh, she's been kind of all over our Twitter community full of Souls friends for quite some time. She's guested on the Salt Report. And more importantly, she absolutely adores Bloodborne. Her and I sat down a couple of months ago and had a really great chat about her love for the games and kind of how it's inspired her to do some different stuff and how the games have... Um, been changed for her by like the fan art community and things like that it's a really interesting episode and i think you're going to like it thanks and enjoy um, are you much of a are you are you uh much of a dark souls story person like do you do you really get into the lore and the, the um. like, all of it i've seen you talk to Every, like I've seen you on gigantic threads between like Richard and Sean and uh, uh, Diana and whose episode will be coming out soon by the way um, like I oh, sweet I'm so glad yeah I'm so glad um, but I've seen you on those threads like are you do you do you do you really get into the the big lore dives I I can't because I haven't played it um, so it's sort of like I get into the lore dives or I watch the lore dives for Dark Souls. Um, and Demon Souls and anything from FromSoft because, um, you know, this is all, uh, I know it's it's several teams working together to get these things out, but they're all in a way tangentially related to Bloodborne. And so the thought process you see happening in um, older games, like even going back all the way to like when Miyazaki, did he first join, join in Armor Core 4, I think it was? Sure. Like, mm-hmm. I know. I know. Demon Whatever Souls was his <laughs> was the first game that he directed, I believe. But I think he was right, working right, at the right. studio before that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, even if he was part of the team at the time, like you can kind of see some of the retro helixes, or not even retro helixes, because that would be backward. But like some of the the, the thematic things that they they tackle in other games that they've worked with. Um, I think Richard mentioned that like uh, you know underground civilizations was a thing in their earlier games, not just Bloodborne. Um, and so when you get to he- hear and talk about some of the thematic weirdness that happens in earlier games, it kind of resonates through time, even out to Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. So I, and backward and forward, it's kind of one of those weird echo chamber things. So I always try to keep my eye out on like what the lore dives are, what it says about the, that world. And then I try to think about how it affects Bloodborne, especially... Dark Souls 3 because they were kind of developed tangentially, I think, mm-hmm. as, it, as it were. Uh, at least that's what I understand. Um, so, no, I, I don't really have too many stories personally from the Dark Souls series or anything before Bloodborne, but I do try to at least research or like stick my toe in the water and see what's up um, about that lore because it, it could have uh, echoes in in the game I currently am obsessed with. <laughs> no, no pun intended, right? Oh, uh, what? No, of with course the not. That was... <laughs> oh, no, damn it. <laughs> Everything's a reference to Bloodborne now. <laughs> it's all Bloodborne all the way down. Oh, my God, it, it has been for me, like, for the last two years, almost. I kind of was late on uh, jumping into Bloodborne. So it feels like eternity has been leading up to this game for me, but, like, it's only been like a year and a half, actually. It's pretty pretty intense. Were you playing Souls games up to Bloodborne, or was Bloodborne your first? Oh no, hell no! I was like, okay, so should, should we like I'm I'm recording already, but should we get into this? 
Oh yeah, well, I've, I've been recording for a while, so this is this will be the I'll nice. probably start no, the me big too. wolf joke. So don't don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I was absolutely not a Souls player uh, up until Bloodborne, and even when Bloodborne released, I was not planning on becoming a Soulsborne player. Um, only because uh, when it first released, I was interested in Dark Souls as a concept. It's a, I think they advertised it as like Japanese take on Western. Um, uh, role-playing RPG video games, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting because Dragon's Dogma had come out. I think, um, I, th- I think I could be wrong. I could be getting my time mixed up. I'm sorry, but uh, the idea was intriguing because I was already in tabletop RPGs uh, since I was like a kid, but never got to play it up until I met my husband. And so, like, oh, okay, I like anime. I like tabletop. I like, uh, you know, uh, Western uh, fantasy. So seeing this weird mashup would have been cool, um, except like I I don't know how they communicated it, but they definitely got the point across to me that like dying was going to be part of how you learn, and it's going to be hard. And then I thought to myself, this is this is going to be at a time when teabagging your opponent in Halo is a big thing. <laughs> so I thought to myself. Do I really want that in my life? Sure. And also, yeah, yeah in, in the modding community, people were making what was called uh, Kaizo Mario uh, levels. Do you, are you familiar with this? I'm not. Kaizo Mario is basically, I think it translates to something like Asshole Mario, and it's basically levels to piss you off. Oh, yeah. Um, so, who yeah. was the guy uh, that was, he was, he he was kind of known for making like extraordinarily difficult Mario levels, like Pan Genshi or something. He, I started oh, watching I, him I when don't um, remember. around the time that the giant bomb rivalry between Dan Rickard and uh, um, uh, who was the kid with the with the hair. Um, Gonna have to help me because I don't know. This is the side of Klepik, lore. Patrick Klepek. They were doing a kind of a war back oh. and forth, like trading Mario levels. Oh, and, um, goodness! I remember some some people posting that, and I started following that dude on a stream. Like he's he would make levels so hard that he could not himself beat them. Like mm-hmm. it was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. I'll try to find that and put, it, yeah. put a link in the show notes. Yeah. So I I had that in the background of my mind. I had the Halo community in the back of my mind and then this video game that was going to come out and it looked great and i was like i don't know if i want to dip my toe in that kind of poison i think i'll just know and so i didn't um for i don't remember when dark souls was uh being just like advertised but you know so that was the thing um i decided not to engage with and probably for the best you know considering the kind of stuff you got (laughs) for your your blog or whatever (laughs) yeah um but like i'm sorry i collected all of that everyone i'm sorry no i mean that's like just very interesting um to look back on uh i don't i don't think it's gonna be helpful to any (laughs) young and dumb people coming up behind us but it is interesting just as an older person looking back at this Mm -hmm. kind of weirdness that uh the internet encourages but so i i avoided that and i went straight back into tabletop rpgs because um yeah, video games are cool, but like supposedly on a tabletop RPG, uh, you can help, you know, uh, create your own character, possibly craft stories with other people, and that was always something appealing to me. Um, a real, a real quick aside: Have you played the sure. Dark Souls tabletop game? 
no god you know i saw those things come out and i was i was really tempted to buy all of them and like people are showing off the little figurines they have they're mm-hmm. so cool i'd love to just have them and like line them up on a shelf somewhere <laughs> even if i didn't play the game it's pretty much what i bought that game for is to have all the oh, cool little beautiful. figurines and uh yeah yeah when uh my friend Brian Wade was in town a couple of weeks ago. We, we we actually for the first time I got a, I got a chance to bust it out and like play it. And he has some tabletop experience. And um, I don't know. I just don't like that game very much. <laughs> like it seems yeah, interesting. It's uh it seems very Dark Souls, but they kind of remove right. the skill por- portion of it because all of your yes. damage and dodging is based on uh, dice rolls. So yeah, yeah at that point like what am i doing and they seem to like actively it's encourage true. grinding through it like they i think they kind of want what? you to repeat encounters so that you can get better gear and that you can level up and you can collect souls or, or whatever and interesting it, it's that to the is, point where like I, I think that me and brian like misunderstood a basic core concept of the game like that's how much fun i didn't have with it oh no <laughs> but anyway i'm sorry I, I, uh, no no no, no. Please, please continue i, I mean to, hey, yeah, i'm interested in it too mm-hmm. um I probably shouldn't spend all that money on that. Like I was looking, never mind. Um, I was looking at pencils. I wanted to buy them, but I don't have time for art. Story over. Um, so like, uh, tabletop, tabletop, with my husband kind of seems like it's been training me for the last I don't know, 2006 to now. What six years or nine years? God, um, that's a bit much to think about. But like, I I kind of made. Uh, different cultural touchstones in the gaming like tabletop community to lead up to Bloodborne, which is crazy because it started off with tabletop gaming and uh, Dark Souls is, I know it's not based off of D&D, but it's kind of like uh, this this team's attempt at making a tabletop RPG. I mean, ostensibly all, all games are everything from like Fallout to, you know, mm. Neverwinter Nights and to the current Fallout and Skyrim, it's all kind of based around the D and D's idea of like stats and leveling up and <clears throat> epic adventure stuff like that. Um, but oddly enough, uh, eventually I got tired of the fantasy. Uh, what, what are they called? Power gamers. Um, they they just kind of go in there. They they like to have a little, you know, uh, crazy adventure session where they're super o- op and they just want to kill things and. When you get that kind of play uh, player introduced into your party or your group and they just want to mess with the system, it's not very conducive to telling stories. So I moved on to Call of Cthulhu, which is, you know, um, it's not a D20 game. I think it's a 2D10 type of game um, based around, like, you know, Lovecraftian and Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I became aware of... Uh, some of the mechanics, un- unknowingly at the time, that would be used in Bloodborne, um, things like uh, insight and uh, the arcane stat, kind of <clears throat> I would find out later on match up with the uh, POW score and mythos uh, mythos points mm-hmm. in um, the Call of Cthulhu. I can't remember what edition it is, uh, but the that particular tabletop uh, RPG likes to simulate, you know, your, depending on the storyteller, of course, whoever your GM is, it it likes to simulate the, um, what is that, the hopelessness of going up against these eldritch things, um, Mm -hmm. and eventually what kind of effect it has on the world around it, the people around it, 
and you know the heroes uh, don't they don't always win uh, sometimes they they see something that changes their life forever and they just uh, kind of either die or become part of the project known as Delta Green in which you are just <clears throat> you're kind of an agent a throwaway agent uh, they get sent in as cannon fodder to clean up like other weird things that happen okay. so yeah for nine years I've been playing tabletop games. And actually, really, as far as the Cthulhu stuff goes, I've been listening to it because you can't you can't game that much all the time. Um, <laughs> so if I'm at work, I'll just listen to Call of Cthulhu stuff. And mm-hmm. um, as far as getting into the games go, like I never ever intended to get hooked into Bloodborne. Um, I I didn't have a PlayStation Four, uh, so this is another one of those 300 plus Bloodborne games for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as expenditure um but i had been uh getting into arc which is uh more or less my speed it's a uh, like minecraft like seven days to die it's resource gathering exploring i like that kind of stuff and every now and then you get into a gunfight with whatever you're fighting uh so i put something in the background and guess who happened to be playing through bloodborne and i thought you know, it'll be really funny to watch the Game Grumps just swear up a storm at this series that is supposedly all about, you know, grinding you into dust. And if anything, I'll get some funny, like, you know, rage quits from Aaron if anything happens. Um, and surprisingly, I, he's not a bad player. Uh, it's hard to get invested in the lore when two guys are just, like, hamming it up, uh, playing because everything in horror eventually devolves into comedy. It's it's just mm-hmm. natural. Mm-hmm. Even in the Call of Cthulhu like tabletop space and even in uh D&D or like any tabletop game like if you're not ready to deal woohoo. Flash flood <laughs> warning. That's fine. That's oh, no. that's all fine. Um <laughs> that's all right. Where are you uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll take this out. Are you in the Houston, Texas area? Like are you worried about Harvey? No. Um, okay. I'm further I'm further north. Okay. Uh don't worry about that. Cool. <laughs> but um yeah, so like everything horror will devolve into comedy because if you don't get the tone right, I mean, you can't really take an awkward situation seriously. You got to kind of break it down, uh, especially if nobody's feeling the mood. But <clears throat> so I'd have that on the background. Looked great, fantastic. Uh, it didn't didn't seem to interest me too much uh, until. They went, I believe, into the forest, and that stupid blue celestial emissary came out of nowhere and just ran at them. <laughs> I kind of thought to myself, wait, no. Wait, this is supposed to be the werewolf steampunk game? Uh, I know the Japanese have a fascination with aliens in their horror video games, but this seems like really thematically off. Uh, so I, I, it really got my attention at that point, and I tried... Uh, uh, I mean, I, they definitely got me. I watched all the way through their series. Um, and when they got to the end, uh, they got the middle ending. Um, what was that one called? Honoring Wishes. <laughs> and they had to go look up what the other ones were. Um, <laughs> and then I saw like the, the baby squid ending, and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> and so from there, it just devolved into lore diving. Of course, starting with... Uh, uh, I had to cheat. I looked up... Um, Bloodborne's story explained in uh, 20 minutes or whatever by Vadi Vidya. And, uh, and, and just, to, fr- just to confirm, this goodness. is before you had actually played the game, right? Like you're just watching yeah, people play I'd the game. Yeah, I've been watching. I've been watching for like months. 
as this came out and as they like ran through the DLC. And I I wasn't thinking about getting the game at all, but I was just fascinated with all this stuff they were passing after that alien thing. It's like, okay. Like, I hadn't even seen the Amygdala before that. And, you know, they're, sharing, they're showing off the monster. I was like, hmm, that looks like a call out to Call of Cthulhu. I guess that's going to be the next popular thing coming up. Um, I thought nothing of it, nothing of it until that stupid blue celestial emissary came out. And then it was all downhill, like from, I think, from Lady Maria on, like, just I had to know, oh, God, man, when I first saw Lady Maria, it, mm-hmm. it's so good. Here, uh, so badass opening right off the start. Uh, strong women is not are, are not um, something that I I typically agree with when anime tries to portray them they're always like you can tell that there's a stereotype or an archetype that they like to portray and it just gets really flat after you've seen it like 50 times even with like you know character uh personality variations but like because of the way bloodborne tells its story you can kind of um it's open to interpretation and so you don't have uh the obstruction of somebody actually telling you this is what this person is like this is how they react to a situation you can kind of leave it open and maria is one of those characters where uh she you you see her in this fight you see a couple key uh story notes about her the rest is up to interpretation and it makes this particular character stronger because i think she's like to me anyway she's like one or two character like uh, traits short of becoming like just a regular anime girl and that would be devastating to me if like Bloodborne 2 came out and you find out she likes kittens but she doesn't like to tell anybody you know that kind of (laughs) trope just trope like tough girl stuff from the anime verse it's interesting to me to hear um because I'm I'm, Mm -hmm. I have like basically no real education or I haven't Mm -hmm. watched a lot of anime so I mean it's probably for the best (laughs) that's what (laughs) The fact I'm that everybody says mistake, that, but... <laughs> everybody says that to me when I say that. So, like, I'm, I figure, uh-huh. like, yeah, that's probably a good thing. Um, but just yeah, hearing, I, it's like, great when you're young, absorbing that stuff, like, just kind of mm-hmm. via osmosis from the, just mm-hmm. being on the internet, right? Like, that's such a, it's such an obvious trope that I'm, and I'm yeah. so glad that they didn't go down that direction with Lady Maria. Oh, like, she's such yeah. an awesome character now that. Yeah. I don't know, finding out, like you said, like if she liked kittens, like, and there's nothing wrong with like mm-hmm. kittens, but like if they like, no. if Bloodborne Two was just had just kind of <laughs> pulled her back in that method, would be such yeah. a disappointment. It would be. I mean, like, we get really close with her, like being friends with Adeline and like dedicating her her time to the research hall. But it's so uh, because of the way they introduce the character, it's so tragic that it's not just reducing her to cute things. It's like she has character. Uh, as an actual person perhaps would rather than an archetype so it it really strengthens strengthens the character even though we would just absolutely love to hear more about these characters um and i think all of the characters are kind of that way like they're so sparse they allow you to just let your imagination fly and i think that's like one of the strongest points for uh bloodborne i know at uh at least because uh tabletop games kind of work the same way um the gm usually has an idea he wants to share with everybody in a tabletop uh, campaign. Um, but it's really the theater of the mind and the other players coming in to the game uh, and interpreting what they find uh, that makes the story more interesting. Um, I think uh, what I, the feeling I get from Dark Souls and Bloodborne, especially because I've played through it, is kind of like it's a tabletop 
world where the uh, game master or the dungeon master, whatever uh, terminology you happen to be using, um, you're familiar. Are you familiar with these uh, these terms as a yes. mm-hmm. uh thing? Okay, uh, these these two games kind of feel like uh, the GM created a world. He created a really interesting story, but he knows his players are shitheads and they just want to go through and kill everything. Uh, so this is, you know, to me, Bloodborne is basically Murder Hobo Simulator uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and the GM is just fine. Go, go ahead. Kill all my awesome bosses. I don't care. Have fun. Uh, <laughs> but for the small subset that actually pays attention to the story, there is like just a very dense uh little universe that you can stick your toe in and like swish around and you see all sorts of weird stuff just just by looking at it it's it's very amazing um to see from i guess from a tabletop player point of view but yeah i don't know if i've communicated this well but yes it kind of seems like everything i've been listening up until this point got me ready for like looking at bloodborne from that angle it's very fascinating to me it's interesting and, uh, to me to thanks. hear that yeah. you, you you watched an entire playthrough of the game and then later oh, yeah. got got into it and started playing yeah. it. Was it a lot of people like to bash um, let's plays and long plays um, mm-hmm. as like uh, the developers losing money and in some respects they are because if the game isn't as involved as the story environment character uh, you know the the clues that lead you up to these story points if they're not as strong as uh, well, I feel if they're not as strong as the storytelling in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, then yeah, you could watch one person play through the game, get all the, you know, 100% complete. And if there's nothing to draw you in, that person has lost money because it's just there's no uh, force convincing that person to, you know, I need to go into that world. I need to figure out what's going on. But even just seeing a casual play, and I don't know if you've seen the game Gurm's casual, super casual play mm-hmm. going through this thing. Um, you don't get any of the story. They don't cover any of the story. Even if um, the player isn't interested in that particular section, like they'll you'll you'll miss it. But these this world for Bloodborne at least is so detailed. I even watching um, and listening to the lore hunters for this from this community like uh, JSF, um, Aegon of Astora. Like I devoured everything from Bonfire Side Chat and all their their affiliates downward just looking for lore and I had to get into the game because there were some questions that didn't actually make sense unless you were in that space uh so yeah I had to get that game um I think uh it had to have been the September after its actual release in 2015 so maybe 2016 um I bought the game I didn't have the system yet and I think I got it in November uh, the next month, and then I started playing, and I, I don't know if getting the game and being in the world actually led to any large um, uh, revelations as far as the lore goes, but it helps contextualize the things you see, especially in an edited video, like um, where is this placed, uh, what is it next to, what spaces did you go through in order to get to this area, that kind of helps flesh out the world. Um, like, I don't know if, uh, do you remember the map for Central Yarnum much? Um, like it would be, it's one of those things where I, I don't have it memorized. Like I probably do the Undead mm-hmm. Burg and Dark Souls 1, uh, mm-hmm. but, it, but I can, I can find my way around pretty easily. Mm. Are you, uh, do you remember the, uh, 
dark room where uh, there's always that guy in the wheelchair just sitting there and he's waiting for you to kill him for his blood bullets in Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the one that they, so, uh, yeah. they, they, they tricked you into going into in the, <laughs> the DLC. DLC. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I fell for it. Like, Same. I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, that place is going to come up. But I'd been so engaged with the enemies previous to that. that uh, and uh, it's so good because they introduced that stupid ticking time bomb through mm-hmm. those first mobs before you get to the building. <laughs> and I walked into that building and I was like, oh, this guy's dead already. What's that ticking noise? And everything exploded around me. It was just beautiful. Um, but yeah, so that particular building in Yarnum, uh, not in the Nightmare, it just looks like a normal, I guess, I don't know, a dark building. Uh, if you just breeze through it and you don't look at anything, but it's connected to an area that leads you down to the, the aqueducts and just traversing between like the aqueducts, that building, and even the bridge that leads up to a uh, cathedral ward, it kind of communicates the idea that this dark building is actually supposed to be an overstuffed warehouse. And this warehouse is full of barrels with chains. You know, um, you're, you're familiar with that one, but one yeah. of these barrels is cracked open and it has nothing but like bone bits and dust in it. So it's like you couldn't, unless somebody pointed it out to you and said, this is a warehouse, unless you were uh, told that, and even if you were told that, you have no idea why this is important to Central Yarnum, Hemwick, what it means for the church. You know, it, it kind of spreads out from there because the detail is just uh, so interconnected. It, it seems to be telling more stories than maybe there is. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But that particular dark area, I would not have guessed it to be a warehouse. But after playing the game, it kind of you know, shed some light on, yeah, it might be the housing place for all the bone marrow ash that people had to use. So it's really, it, it really draws you in, and I love it about this game. It's um, it's the mark of a good story, I think, and I, I used to find mm-hmm. a lot of this with uh, Stephen King specifically, um, where it, uh-huh. it draws you into a world, and you start asking about those things. You start asking about, like, mm-hmm. why is this here? What does this mean in the mythology of the story? Like, how, what is this? Oh, yeah. What, what is this, you know, what is this supposed to to be? And how does it interact with the, the characters that I've come to know in the world? And it's something that not a lot of video games do particularly well. I think, like, The Witcher 3 does this particularly well. And then, mm. obviously, all of the Souls games, I think, are really, really strong with it, where you can go someplace and it actually ha- feels like, and the bonfire side chat boys talk about this a lot. Like it feels like it's mm-hmm. not a video game level. Like it, yeah. you know, like going into uh five, one and demon souls, like that feels like plate or maybe five, two, five, two and demon souls where uh, like, it feels like people like, like people live there. Like it feels like a pl- place where people made their home, not just a place where yeah. video game designers d- decided like to make you jump over some hurdles. It's so. not just the stage. Everything is considered. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it seems like everything considered, and that might be more theater of mind thing, but like, uh, it's, yeah, I don't know how else to say it. it's really good storytelling. Uh, it's really good world building. Um, and actually, like, <laughs> so I'll watch, I'll watch other people play video games, and they'll, they'll go to an area that's maybe a hub of trade, and it's like, well, why Why did they have it placed like that? There's a lot of traffic through there. It's really inconsiderate. Or why did they place, you know, this particular drop on this enemy? What does it say? And they might not even have those, that consideration. Like, they're just pulling evocative names, putting it on a model that looks cool, and then giving you a drop because that's all you care about in the end of most video games. Like, I just want that item. I don't care about 
how I get it. Just give it to me and give me a good fight. And after playing Bloodborne, it's kind of like you ask all these questions and then you have to pull back and realize, well, maybe that's maybe they weren't thinking that much about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a trap that, um, and not to call any of the the lore people out because some of them like are, mm-hmm. are my friends now. Like they're my internet buds. Like they've been on this podcast. Yeah. But um, like looking at some of the people on YouTube that try so hard to wring blood from a stone mm-hmm. and that's that's why a lot of the the lore people that i gravitate towards are more focused on what's in the game than trying to extrapolate yeah. things that you don't really have a sound a solid foundation for and i oh yeah yeah i enjoy that amount of storytelling and that amount of like being able to pull the story out more than i do like I can't remember what if uh what was the Solaire Jesus thing for a while? Like what if Solaire was Jesus or something? Like there was some weird wow. thing going around or something. Really? Yeah, I don't I may be getting that wrong, so like internet come at me or whatever. It's, it's but, very possible. Um but there was some ridiculous thing and I I wanna say it was around Christianity or something that uh but like it was mm-hmm. just you you would you watched it and there was just no evidence to support it whatsoever. It was just a guy being oh, like, wow. Oh, there's a thing here. Like and so here's a ten minute YouTube video about it. <laughs> and mm. which I mean, make make your content, right? Like, I'm not I'm not complaining yeah. about that, but the stuff that I tend to like and get into are, you know, the the Richard Pillbeams or the JF, JSFs yeah. or the Agons of the world, where they actually base something on a foundation and that you could actually have a conversation about. Because if oh, yeah. you if you're just pulling stuff from the air, you can't really have a conversation about it because you can just pull anything from the air. Like, oh yeah, well, I, you know, there's a there's a puppy dog in it, so it obviously takes place in the Scooby Doo universe. <laughs> Well, okay. Like, if you're starting with that premise, like, I literally can't have a conversation with you because that's so ridiculous that I, you know, I could, you could just say anything. Like, I, I don't. There's nothing to talk about at that point. So, yeah, it's kind of like a guy with a good balancing act, right? You have one point to stand on, and he can stand on that one point with the tip of his finger and like do a handstand. But for this, you know, it's only good for looking at it at uh, as a novelty, uh, and I think. You know, in, in really good, uh, in well, this this game has uh, multiple points from which to balance from. So mm-hmm. it's less like a, a trick, and it's more like you're building a foundation uh, for which you want to build uh, a nice house on. Uh, so it doesn't sink horribly or list horribly to one side. Um, so that's why I uh, I would believe uh, JSF and Aegon a lot of other lore hunters, like when they put several points together, then you can kind of stand with them and think, yeah, this makes sense. These are all the points. Uh, I don't agree with maybe 10% of it, but all the other points are good. Um, and constantly, like, I have to pull back and think, well, uh, we also have to consider it's it's a game. Um, maybe not everything in even Dark Souls and Bloodborne is specifically there to help build off of lore. And maybe it was just there because developing cycles, you know. I mean, I have no idea how to develop a game. But sometimes you just got to hack and slash and put it all together. And you know what? If that's how we got the DLC for Bloodborne, it turned out really good. So <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> I mean, there's I obviously there, there's obviously things that they put in specifically for that. But I'm, I'm kind of with you in mm-hmm. that if once you get to the point where you're dissecting um, – every individual component of a game like literally some of it was probably just a, an artist going like i like this thing so i wanted to put the thing in there yeah. like that's yeah. that's like i wanted to recreate yeah. the thing in this art that i'm making so i did like that's that's yeah it could be just as simple as that it doesn't necessarily have other ramifications yeah i i did write up a little thing about um the tricorn for um 
Bloodborne and mm-hmm. what it might say for just like the flow of time, not really putting anything into cement, but like based on our real life history of how the Tricorn evolved, like maybe then this is it kind of points to a timeline. Uh, this happened, uh, you know, wide brim hats happened first, which is we do see Father Gascoigne and like one of the old hunter set has a wide brim hat. Um, it started off as a wide brim hat. Uh, they pinned up the sides uh, because it got in the way of, you know, standing at attention with your rifle. Uh, so it was easier to stand at attention with a rifle with a tricorn because it didn't get into the, the floppy hat era. And then like further on, how it might have led to perhaps the standard hunter cap because uh, on the standard hunter cap, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, like the brim is no longer uh, a circular object that is pinned to the crown of the hat. It's kind of like, it's specifically tailored to give you those cool feather looking things that like Jura's hat has. Um, But like, it could also just be, you know, an artist said, Hey, this looks cool. Let's put it in the game. And we even see that in the art book because there's like six different, designs for even crazier tricorns and it it probably has no timeline significance at all it's just this looks cool we're putting it in the game and sure. uh, yeah and even if you try to base it off of like a western perspective of like this is how our mythology works uh so obviously this is in reference to maybe the hero's journey or fire stealing and such like that but in in some of the things I've dipped my toe into that's kind of not what f- fire seems to represent in like at least Japanese Shinto um, uh, mythology or religion. Um, I mean, sometimes they're one and the same, really. Um, fire is not like this wonderful thing that enlightened man. Uh, in the Japanese uh, mythology of was it I can't remember if he was like the first god or maybe just the first man, but when fire was brought into the world, it killed his wife, and so that was when death was introduced to the universe and so fire is not this thing that causes enlightenment it's a thing that has brought death and it's it's kind of like a corrupting force rather than an enlightening um uh force and so it really sets the tone if you think of it from that perspective it kind of puts the mythology at a different <clears throat> a different starting place where when you think about, you know, what fire means in Dark Souls especially, uh compared to like what it might mean uh, from like the story of Prometheus and you know, enlightenment and all that thing. Uh especially enlightenment is pretty interesting in Bloodborne as well. But yeah, so that's just part of the if you base it if you try to look at things from more angles, uh if you get <clears throat> a wider horizon from which you pull things from uh you'll get different takes on the story which depending on what angle you're looking from that story might become slightly different uh and it's it's not bad to base all of your lore on one point and then just make a cute you know cute little spin off of it but it becomes a lot more interesting if you have a a wider foundation and a stronger foundation to to build from for better or worse you know even if it destroys some people's fan theories like that art book did for my theory about the tricorn you know it's Mm -hmm. still a fun exercise in what if (laughs) and that's the like there's such an obvious separation between the the actual story and then the what if side Mm -hmm. of it like i going back back to the stephen king stuff um it's it's in my head because i'm 
reading through the dark tower for like the 18th millionth time. Uh-huh. Um, but um, like just th- there's obviously what's quote unquote canon. Uh, and then there's like mm-hmm. this, this stuff that's in the book. And then there's all of these mm-hmm. stories around it, like all of these extrapolations that you can make that are, that are fun to think about. Like the, what if yeah. you know, that's literally the reason they have like Marvel has the, what if series of comics, right? Because it's fun to yeah, tell those yeah, stories, yeah. but not have them actually mean anything. Do you yeah. do you do you find yourself reading like I, I know that kind of gets into fan fiction territory and, and, and mm-hmm. a, to an extent, but like do you find yourself seeking out that stuff like once you ran out of actual lore for lack of a better phrase like did you go seek out custom lore I'm not sure what I want to call oh, that <laughs> like I don't want to um, say I don't, don't want to say fan fiction but did you did you seek out more store excuse me more Bloodborne so, stories I used to be a fan fiction fiend during college um, especially with my my anime of choice because like you know like you said there's the core story but then there's also the what if and that's where the fans like like to just spin uh marbles on the table and anything that falls off falls off but anything that stays stays and it's really cool but you have so much stuff to wade through i just gave up fan fiction and if i happen to be cruising around through the internet and i see something that i like i'll investigate it but i don't actively reach out for like custom fan fiction on you know what was Lawrence's story from joining Bergenworth to leaving Bergenworth and what that might've been like, or, you know, I, I don't search out these stories anymore. Um, just because I remember waiting through tons and tons of trash and some of it might've been amusing, <laughs> but like in, in Bloodborne, it's like, it's not going to help my brain uh, stay grounded in the actual facts that the game presents us. Cause like my brain will spin off like weird shit as it is. Uh, I took two theories about Winter Lanterns and I mashed them together uh, to make my own theory. And like, it's all, it's all conjecture. It could happen. There's nothing to say that it didn't happen, but like, this is the kind of stuff that I, I love personally, but it's more or less fan fiction and it's not going to help me contribute to a discussion if I want to, you know, uh, talk lore with other people. So I don't, I don't often go out looking for, um, uh fan fiction in particular uh but i do look at discussions about characters or uh world you know world building um points from these kind of spin-off uh ideas just to see like what what they're basing it off of like how many points are they making their handstand from you know uh just to help bolster my understanding of the game uh and appreciation i guess for the characters um yeah it's not it's not really fan fiction, I'd guess, but there's an artist, uh, Jezza Red, and I really hope we can get her on the show, but I don't think she, I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll try to pester her again. Uh, she made like <laughs> a beautiful, like eight panel, like no text, whatever. It's just a comic about like her hunter's experience with the character Gilbert, you know, the chronically ill house, mm-hmm. um, at that first lamp. And like, I hadn't considered that character, interesting at all until she showed what she went through with that character and then he became like infinitely just like oh no save this poor man he's trying so hard to be a good person um despite like all the shit Yarnum's put him through uh and sometimes you get those emotional beats and it's it deepens your appreciation for what the uh community puts out and what this game is even if the two things you know one is solely based to save an IP or, you know, uh, boost a brand. And the other is just complete fantasy that the fans are running away with. It's, it's fun still to kind of 
Uh, I don't wade through it anymore, like I said, but it's still fun to like sift through and see what people are experiencing. I just uh, I googled just read. I think you and I have talked about her mm. in the past, um, and mm-hmm. wow, her art is fantastic. <laughs> like I was yeah, just kind of looking through her Bloodborne tag that is just wow. Yeah. That's really mm-hmm. really good. What was yeah, it like? And she even had. Huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, she has a deviant art, and she's even criticized some of the characters, which I, you know, you got to step back, take a look at it, and criticism is uh, sometimes warranted. Uh, but what were you going to say? I was curious what it was like actually playing the game um, for for, for kind of a newcomer. Time? Yeah, like yeah, uh, because it's 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 even as a Souls veteran, like as a person that had mm-hmm. hundreds of hours of Souls games going into Bloodborne. Bloodborne was still relatively difficult, especially towards the end where they start really ramping up that boss HP. Uh, what was it like hmm. playing that? Like, a, especially coming from the tabletop, which you know mm-hmm. is, is a totally different kind of skill set. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a horrible gamer and a tabletop player. I'll I'll jump between the two. Um, I don't the uh, mechanic. I wish I could say I'm a mechanics person, but I'm kind of not. I just kind of go by instinct as far as uh, video games go, and like. Uh, uh, for PvP, uh, first-person shooter, I am horrible. Uh, like my my uh, hand-eye coordination is not that good. Uh, probably because I don't play enough. But like, I don't want to be like yelled at and head sniped from like maps away uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because Same. I'm such a crap player. But um, I like to uh, try to convince my husband to play. It's like, oh, but honey, the controls are more or less like Legend of Zelda or Korean of Time. You have a a a lock-on mechanic. You you have a 3D space from which you can attack from. All you know, all the moves are easy to learn. Um, so it, I, Bloodborne is hard. It's pretty brutal. Uh, but like other people have said, you don't lose anything from dying. And if you get into the game, you eventually learn to let go of you know the 10k echoes you you finally managed to scrounge up. It'll be just meaningless later on in the game. Uh, I didn't find the controls too difficult. Um, that first axe guy in Central Yardum that mm-hmm. ambushes you from behind the, the cart and the the wolf. Um, it was more or less like uh, it gave you a good chance to uh, just be isolated from anything else in the game and learn the controls. It's perfectly fine for me. And eventually, uh, after it became I'm not stuck in the room with them, they're stuck in a room with me. Then I finally dropped that ladder and proceeded through the rest of the game. And, you know, to be fair, I had been watching other people play, so it's not like I didn't understand, like, sometimes you just have to run. Uh, sometimes uh, you you can systematically go through a whole map and kill everything, which is what I do. Um, you just kind of have to... You just kind of have to approach it um, slowly, I think. It's still, it's still a cautionary game. I hear some people say that Bloodborne is the uh, really um, aggressive fighter, um, but technically, that's what all the other like video games are teaching you to do. Like, just go in hack slash, and you kill it eventually. Um, Bloodborne is you go in hack slash, you get beat over your head because you need more finesse. But you know, if you keep beating your head against this wall, eventually you'll learn. Um, so it wasn't that difficult uh, for me to get into at all um, until I met. Martyr Ligarius, which was my first, like, I tried to destroy the wall next to me after fighting him. But, um, <laughs> you know, the thing is, the great thing about Bloodborne is, after going through all the chalices and after going through all the maps again, it gives you space to assess the situation and then attack it however your uh, fighting skill set allows you to do it. 
Uh, I think the lore hunter complains that the winter lanterns are the worst. Um, and they are more or less, uh, it was pretty interesting to fight them in the DLC, uh, which I haven't done like, uh, solo. I did it as an arcane build with my brother. Who's also weird double arcane strength. And that was fun. Um, so he says winter lanterns are the worst, but I'm also a horrible person and I don't mind grinding. So by the time I reached Murgo's loft, like, okay, it gives you that little dark alcove from which to look at the winter lanterns and where they're placed. Um, gave me, uh, the first run in, okay, maybe I do need frenzy gear. That's fine. Uh, but I, it gives me the chance to go to chalices, grind out a level, come back and like try to approach these difficult bosses from various angles. And that breathing space that they give you is, is what I think makes it bearable because unless you don't, unless you don't grind, uh, I can see like any, any enemy is, uh, conquerable at that point um because they give you the space and the resources to plan your attack even on a enemy to an enemy encounter and they do mix it up so that it doesn't get boring which is another great uh, i think technical aspect to this game so so i have to ask we, we've talked about for like 45 minutes about bloodborne have you have you uh have you played any of the other dark souls games or demon souls or anything Did you no ever go back? but i really want to get into it um mm-hmm. bloodborne does I really want to get into it, but like I think uh, all of the earlier games, at least for Demon Souls and Dark Souls One, they're still on uh, the Xbox. Is that is that correct? Uh, Demons is on PS3. It doesn't hasn't had a PC or a uh, oh sorry PS4 release. I meant um, PS and the Xbox. No, wait. and then yeah, Dark yeah. Souls is on uh, latter generation, and then PC. It hasn't yeah. had a, an update. I'm, I think uh, everyone's kind of expecting a Dark Souls One remaster at some point. Like I feel I feel like that has mm. to be coming soon. Although. It's backwards compatible on an Xbox One, so if you have an Xbox mm-hmm. One, you can go you can go download a digital nope, version. For, for sadly, I do not. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? <laughs> Unless you want to have a backwards yeah. compatible machine. A kid like Xbox One is <sighs> fine. It's 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 whatever. <sighs> but yeah, the thing has been off sitting on my 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 display. I haven't turned it on except for accident. Like if they brought uh, Dark Souls to the Xbox, I'd love that because I'd finally have a reason to turn on my Xbox. But I definitely want to go back and play all these games, so I'm going to have to figure it out somehow. Well, you, uh, Bloodborne you, seems to be. Uh, oh yeah. You have an Xbox One. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can play. You can play. I can Dark play Souls Dark Souls too. You can play Dark Souls but, One wait, on the Xbox One. one. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Okay. Cool. I, then it's just Demon Souls. I have to figure out. Uh, definitely want to go forward with that because Bloodborne seems to be uh, the combat seems to be friendlier to people who play modern games. But uh, wait, did I say that right? Bloodborne. Right, Bloodborne is the one that seems to be dedicated towards more aggressive players. Dark Souls seems to be a thing I saw uh, in regards to tabletop gaming, where um, not everything is hack and slash in the real world. Um, they're saying that actual um, medieval combat uh, was more about uh, like little scrums where you're kind of sh- uh, locked with your opponent looking for an opening and that seems to be what dark souls is all about so that'd be really interesting to go back and see what other connections i can uh, pull between dark souls and uh the tabletop community mm-hmm. um and i guess in a way like the larping community because or the historical reenactment community because like all these things they seem to be reflected in dark souls and bloodborne to some degree but it might just be um coincidence uh but it might not because i also know i think the 
I think it was Diana, she said, um, was it Kingsfield or Dark Souls was based off of a popular role-playing game in Japan. Not, oh, really? Not, I haven't, I haven't uh, heard that. Supposedly. And this is like another reason why I like to follow these people, because they know more about this stuff. So if I glean anything from their conversations, it's more towards my knowledge of the game. Um, so uh, I'd love to see and confirm if Dark Souls is like a tabletop uh, gone to console, if that makes sense. Uh, Bloodborne seems to be Call of Cthulhu, the RPG gone to console. I have a feeling that Dark Souls and Demon Souls might be like D&D or, you know, typical fantasy role-playing games uh, brought to console and just seeing if that works at all um, as far as my experience uh, and the theory. Definitely going backward at some point. Excellent. What about going? What about going forward? Like, are you? Ooh. We're we're kind of in a weird time. Like, um, mm-hmm. everyone keeps looking at every single games conference that happens and saying, like, "Hey, this is definitely going to be the time that From Software announces their next game," and then it just passes mm-hmm. by and they don't. So, what are you mm-hmm. like looking for out of a next game from From? Um, um, environmental storytelling, apparently. Because, <laughs> uh, like the story in Bloodborne is is pretty. It is pretty NPC light. Um, Especially when I hear these crazy stories about like you know, all the NPCs from Dark Souls, but uh, I think if the story, if the world is interesting, uh, I'll be all for it. Um, you know, I don't know. They're they're always talking about Bloodborne two, um, or maybe hopefully anything else. Just more from more from is probably what I want, but definitely good story, good world building. Uh, I'll jump all in that. Hopefully, um, as far as like what actually do I want to see from from. Uh, yeah. Let let's let's make it a detective game. Uh, maybe <laughs> even go back to point and click adventures. I'd love to see a point and click adventure from From, and what kind of crazy branching stories they could come up with that. Uh, but I mean, I don't know if everybody has the patience for those uh, anymore. Um, uh, maybe I'm even them. a dating sim. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> a dating sim. Bloodborne the dating sim. Yes, I keep, please. Uh, Let's do that. I keep joking about that. That Namco, specifically with uh, Dark Souls, is going to eventually like just like have the cart racer and the dating sim and like yeah. do every single variation of that. And <laughs> something. I, I used to make that joke to make fun of Namco, but now I'm like, mm-hmm. I could probably get behind a Dark Souls cart racer. I'd be into that. And then, um, and I mean, for between here where there's nothing and maybe their next big hit anything would be great but mm-hmm. like yeah <laughs> or like uh my friend banshee beat said he wants a idol master of souls he said that would be a lot of oh, fun which, <laughs> yeah. still don't know what that would look That'd like be but, weird uh, he actually mm-hmm. um he dm'd me a picture of that somebody drew idol master souls the other day and it was it was really cool mm-hmm. so I need to go wow that. oh boy yeah i haven't seen that yet um, well, yeah. Hugh, thank you so much for guesting on the podcast. I know this is kind of an early morning for you, so thank you very much for getting up and, and talking with me for like an hour. Yeah, I no really problem. appreciate it. Um, where can people find you on the uh, internet, should they choose to do so? Well, should they choose to find me, you can find me uh, on Tumblr as K-O-U underscore uh, K-A-G-E-R-O-U. That's Ko Kagero. Uh, I said Ko again and not Ko. Be... I'm so sorry. I was, yeah, uh, right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing goes for Twitter. K O U underscore K A G E R O U. Um, yeah, you don't need to follow me. Uh, there's nothing but shit post everywhere. 
Oh, that's not true. That's not true. You're a great follow. I've, I've been following you on Twitter for quite Wonderful. a while. Wonderful. I, I think you're a great follow. So. Definitely, definitely well, go glad. check her out. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Um, I forget my exit for this podcast, so I'm going to have to remove this later. Um, as always... <laughs> <laughs> just totally it's been a while since i've recorded this podcast okay <laughs> oh well welcome back, welcome I, sh- back. I should have a script um <clears throat> as always i've been your host jeremy greer you can find me on twitter at jg greer you can find this podcast at don't give up skeleton.com that has links to all of the social media that it is on specifically go check out the instagram if you want quick 30 to 60 second previews of each and every episode uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to everyone list- leaving feedback on iTunes reviews. That really, really helps kind of get us boosted up in the charts. If you or someone you know want to be on the podcast, send me an email. I'm uh, tentatively opening up my my list, so you have to be pretty patient with me. But I'll definitely add you to the list, and we can see what happens. Again, thank you to our guest, Co, which I've said right this time, so I'm not embarrassed to say yep. that. And uh, good. Good. we'll see you next time. But remember... Don't give up skeleton. And that's it. Yay, we did it. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Um, you can you can save your audio. I don't I don't